And now, Nurse Talk, where laughter's the best medicine. Brought to you by the California Nurses Association and National Nurses United. Here are your hosts, Casey Hobbs and Shane Mason. My name is Teresa Corrigan, and I work here at the Osher Center for Integrative Medicine doing laughter yoga. Nice to meet you. <laughs> the whole idea behind laughter yoga is that we laugh for no reason. Then let's just go to each other and just meet each other for a minute, okay? Oh, this is Dee Benefield, and I'm at laughter yoga class at the Osher Center on Visitoral and Gary Boulevard. You guys know take me out to the ball game? Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to sing it. Only we're going to sing it with laughter. Good. And we're going to go, ha, 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 Welcome to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason. And we're two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. Casey, coming up on the show is your interview and your first ever laughter yoga session with RN and laughter yoga certified instructor, Teresa Corrigan. Sounds like you two had a lot of fun. It was actually very fun. I was a little suspicious of it at first, but it was actually fun. <laughs> Leave it so- to you to be suspicious of <laughs> laughing yoga. (laughs) Well, I am anything that's going to like force me to laugh is the way I looked at it. We did have fun and I love the technique. It's so simple and so very beneficial. So stay with us because this is really a fun way to relieve stress and improve your overall health. And speaking of improving your overall health, it's almost time for the midterm election, Shane. What could be more exciting than that? Yeah, it's super exciting. (laughs) I guess democracy beats any alternative, however, but Casey, in California, there's so many ballot initiatives and it gets really confusing because of the way they're written. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to take a look at some of the initiatives that impact healthcare, patient care, and the healthcare profession. We invited just the guy who knows something about that, Director of Public Policy for California Nurses Association, Michael Lighty, will be with us to bring some clarity to it all. And health trivia, email questions, and whatever happens in between. And now, Shane, it's time for the news and our views. Take it away, Shane. All right. So the first story is Walmart raises health care costs, cut benefits for some part-timers. Mm. So Walmart Stores Incorporated, the biggest U.S. private sector employer, said on Tuesday that its 1.3 million workers are going to have to pay more for health care. And it would end benefits for some part-time staff in a move that could prompt other companies to follow suit. The world's largest retailer said it would raise health insurance premiums for its entire U.S. workforce beginning in January. In addition, Walmart will end coverage for employees who work fewer than 30 hours a week, a change that will impact 2% of all U.S. workers or about 30,000 people. Taking away access to health care, even though many of my coworkers couldn't afford it anyway, is just another example of Walmart manipulating the system to keep workers like me in a state of financial crisis. Nancy Reynolds, a cashier at a Walmart in Florida and member of Our Walmart, a group pushing for better wages and benefits, said in an email from the group. The decision to reduce coverage came a week before the company's chief executive, Doug McMillian, is due to McMillian. McMillian. That's beautiful. McMillian. That's really his name. Doug McMillian is due to face (laughs) fun McManagers. (laughs) Is he Scrooge McDuck's cousin? So this dude's due to face fund managers and analysts at an annual meeting for the investment community. Walmart has been struggling to boost profits with U.S. same-store sales flat or declining for the last six quarters. However, a January 
2014 Stockholders Newsletter states that Walmart reported fourth quarter fiscal net sales of $128.8 billion, which is an increase of 1.4% over the previous year. So what do you think, Casey? I only get 30 seconds, which is sad, because $128 billion, that isn't enough for you. Now you have to cut your already poor workers' benefits to starve them even more. You already start off by when somebody is hired by Walmart, they tell you about Medi-Cal and all the uh, food stamps that you can get because you're not going to be making enough to support yourself. So what I have to say to Walmart, shame, shame, shame on you, Mr. McMillian. Yeah, the idea of uh, of something being flat, not being okay. I Again, I hate to complain too much about capitalism because I don't know what to replace it with, but the fundamental tenet of capitalism is that we have to be in a state of solace, steady growth, always growing, always growing. So again, like you say, if sales are flat, but they're $128 billion per quarter, why are we complaining? Like That's, that's the sure. fundamental issue with capitalism. That, that is for with. sure. Next up, you're going to love this story, Shane. Testicular trek. Man pushes giant testicle across U.S. for cancer. For cancer, no less, as if this isn't going to help the testicle. That explains where my ball went. <laughs> That's totally where it went. It's not just for bowling either. A 31-year-old man is raising awareness for testicular cancer in the ballsiest of ways. Thomas Cantley, also known as Mr. Ballsy, is rolling a giant ball across the country from Los Angeles to New York City to educate and engage with others. He'll engage all right. He started his testicular trek in early September and hopes to get to New York by the end of the week. He calls his six-foot ball Lefty, and he's making the journey in a van with his dog Vader. <laughs> I thought, why not roll a giant testicle across the country, and maybe that will get some attention, he said. Why not? <laughs> Mr. Ballsy has started a movement to get people to connect and understand the importance of getting screened. Before starting this adventure, Cantley worked as a content creator for a fitness company for Canada. Testicular cancer is the most common cancer among males 18 to 35. Your view, Shane. Uh, only in North America would this be, would anyone care about this? I mean, not testicular cancer, but just this be some sort of like egregious, like art performance wackoness or whatever. No big deal. Good job for this guy for bringing some attention to everything. I hope he's having a fun and uh, being nice to the ball. <laughs> I love it that he's from Canada, but he's going to roll the ball across North <laughs> Across the United States, because as you said, we're the only one who give a ball. Right. Okay. <laughs> so our last story, Instagram for Doctors to be launched in Europe, an app which enables healthcare professionals to share photos is to be rolled out across Western Europe by the end of the year. The app was designed to enable doctors to share pictures of their patients, both with each other and with medical students. So far, more than 150,000 doctors have uploaded case photos with the patient's identity obscured. However, some experts have expressed concern about patient confidentiality. Patients' faces are automatically obscured by the app, but users must manually block identifying marks like tattoos. Each photo is reviewed by moderators before it's added to the database. What you think? I think that this is a great experience for Anthony Weiner. He was simply <laughs> just mailing his picture to his doctor and somehow it got taken. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is, this is great, but eventually there's going to be problems. There's going to be huge problems because people are going to hack into that and send your pictures all over. And yes, they're going to cut out your face, but what if your face is where you want to show the doctor you've got a problem? So yeah, and what, what's to keep trouble. an insurance company from hacking into all these? Completely, or anybody else, like they hacked into the actresses and sent it all over the place. So, well, I approve you know. of that. But. 
<laughs> so that's all for Nurse Talk News and Views. Coming up, Director of Public Policy for California Nurses Association and National Nurses United, Michael Lighty, with updates on Ebola and how U.S. hospitals are still not prepared. On the next episode of Recipes for Disaster. So we've got our neighbor Paul coming over tonight for a barbecue, which is why I prepared a delicious lemon rosemary steak marinade for my special collection of old family recipes. To make sure the steaks are extra, extra, extra tender, I left them marinating out on the counter overnight, just like Nana used to. Maria may mean well, but without food safety, it never ends well. Always thaw or marinate foods in the refrigerator at 40 degrees Fahrenheit or below. Or you could make your friends and family really sick. Maria's neighbor Paul didn't think twice about the steak he ate until he was presenting his company's financial forecast to the board. That's when a sudden bout of food poisoning made it explicitly clear that profits weren't the only thing on the rise. Watch Recipes for Disaster at foodsafety.gov. You'll learn the right steps as Maria does everything wrong. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. My dad came to live with us last month, and you know, it's going pretty well. I feel like I never have time for myself. With him being around more, it really lets us catch up on things. His memory isn't what it used to be. We get up and we have coffee. He usually wakes up at 4.30. Then we go for a walk. He needs lots of my attention. I do need to keep an eye on his medications, though. That's important. Sometimes I feel like a pharmacist. I'd say John and the kids are adjusting. Pretty well. They honestly have no idea what I'm going through. It can be a little challenging. Help. But so far, so good. I could really use just a little help. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Our nurse's hands were the first to hold my baby when she came into the world. When my son needed life-saving surgery and was under anesthesia, his nurse was there to care for him and to speak for him when he was most vulnerable. When they tried to push my sister out of the hospital with tubes sticking out of her arms, our nurse fought back, even though it could have cost her her job. When Dad passed, his nurse was the last one to hold his hand and the first one to comfort me. When I was in the hospital for a long time, my nurse was right. I did get better. Nurses are like superheroes. Hello, I'm Jean Ross, a registered nurse from National Nurses United. Many hospitals in our communities are big businesses whose first priority is their bottom line, not your care. Don't let hospitals deny you the care you need. Registered nurses are your first line of protection and your last line of defense. Don't let them take your nurse away. Insist on a registered nurse. It's our registered nurses who put the care in health care. A message from National Nurses United, the voice of America's registered nurses. I've always wanted to be a nurse. In between, do I want to be a doctor or a nurse? And for me, the nursing was the part where they got to spend the most time with the patient. That was something I wanted to do. I wanted to be a caregiver. I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. When it comes to changing people's lives, I think that some of the things we do do touch and change people's lives forever. Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs along with Shane Mason and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty today. At the top of the show, we mentioned that Michael Lighty would be talking about the ballot initiatives coming up, but because of Ebola, we're going to switch gears. Thomas Eric Duncan's temperature spiked to 103 degrees during the hours of his initial visit to an emergency room, a fever that was flagged with an exclamation point in the hospital's record-keeping system, his medical records show. 
Despite telling a nurse that he had recently been in Africa and displaying other symptoms that could indicate Ebola, fever, sharp headache, and abdominal pain, the Liberian man who would become the first person to die from the disease in the U.S. underwent a battery of tests and was eventually sent home. Duncan's family provided his medical records to the Associated Press, more than 1,400 pages in all. They chronicle his time in the ER, his urgent return to the hospital two days later, and his steep decline as his organs began to fail. In a statement issued Friday, Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital said it had made procedural changes and continues to review and evaluate the decisions surrounding Duncan's care. Duncan carried the deadly virus with him from his home in Liberia, though he showed no symptoms when he left for the United States. He arrived in Dallas on September 20th and fell ill several days later. When he first showed up at the hospital, the man reported severe pain, rating it on an eight, eight rating at eight on a scale of ten. Doctors gave him CT scans to rule out appendicitis, stroke, and numerous other serious ailments. Ultimately, he was prescribed antibiotics and told to take Tylenol, then returned to the apartment where he was staying with a Dallas woman and three other people. By now, the story has been, in the, focus, has been the focus of hundreds of news stories and serves to underscore what National Nurses United nurses have been saying about the Ebola outbreak even before Mr. Duncan showed up at the hospital in Dallas. Let's listen to the RN and president of Registered Nurses Response Network, Bonnie Castillo. Bonnie Castillo is director of the Registered Nurse Response Network. And uh, thank you so much for being here, Ms. Castillo. And, and uh, that is actually a very alarming uh, finding. Is it your contention essentially that hospitals are not educating nurses or that the hospitals themselves are not receiving sufficient information? That's correct, and actually our numbers have tripled. Um, we've had over 1,300 responses and no improvement in terms of the level of education and training. And for us, what we see right now, which is so critical, is that we move from the electronic paper plan to an actual national healthcare action plan. It's, it's not sufficient to just uh, refer folks to a website or do a posting. We actually need 24-7 training of the healthcare professionals, um, everyone from triage to treatment to waste disposal. And we, what our nurses are reporting is that this is just not happening. The clip was courtesy of the Joy Reid show on MSNBC. Here with us is Michael Lighty, Director of Public Policy for California Nurses Association and National Nurses United. Michael, welcome and thanks so much for being with us on Nurse Talk today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. So, Michael, last week we spoke to RN Deborah Berger about results from a survey in and use conducting among fellow nurses nationwide. That survey revealed that 80% of nurses say their hospital has not provided policy for admission of potentially infected patients. Is that and, and that basically hospitals were not prepared for a fight against Ebola. Can you update us on those survey findings? Certainly. The uh, number of RNs that's responded is up to 1,900 and that's in 46 states, literally at hundreds of hospitals. And the findings continue to show uh, with nearly 80% saying their hospital has not communicated to them any policy regarding uh, potential admission of patients infected by Ebola. And 85% say their hospital hasn't provided education on Ebola. And uh, over a third say that they don't have sufficient current supplies of eye protection and we know, for example, in, in even a local hospital here, they provided the wrong kind of protection uh, when they did provide it. And 39% say the hospital does not have plans to equip isolation rooms with the 
standard plastic-covered mattresses and pillows. So it's quite uh, quite remarkable that uh, the registered nurses in hospitals all over the country are not getting the preparation, equipment, and communication they need to address this potential pandemic. That's quite fascinating. So has the CDC stepped up, and, and if so, how, Michael? Well, the CDC has stepped up in the sense that they call this uh, the Ebola crisis. They are communicating uh, their guidelines, and they are making themselves available and encouraging hospitals to take uh, precautionary measures. The problem is the CDC has no real authority. They can only issue guidelines. The sources of information that hospitals go to are of their choosing. It's a voluntary system. And the CDC has very little actual power to enforce mandates to demand levels of protection. And ultimately, it's up to the hospitals as to what they choose to do or not do. And and what part does the U.S. Surgeon General play in this? Is, are they involved at all? The Surgeon General is a bully pulpit uh, ultimately as well. They have probably even less authority than the CDC. And, uh, you know, what's remarkable is the CDC has even acknowledged that uh, they let their guard down a bit when it came to uh, Mr. Duncan's uh, presentation at the, at the Dallas Hospital. So the Surgeon General can talk uh, and urge certain procedures and protocols. But again, that's, that's uh, a bully pulpit, not an actual uh, power, uh, empowered position. So what do you think it's going to take, Michael, for hospitals to comply with the regulations and for once they get compliance uh, or once they agree on them, how does it get down to the boots on the ground? I think it's going to take registered nurses demanding that the hospitals respond. I think it's going to take public health authorities issuing mandates for hospitals to prepare with specific protocols and procedures in place. I think that uh, we know that that the precautionary principle here, which holds we should not wait for scientific certainty in high-risk situations, we should take those precautions that are uh, indicated that are going to be most effective, that principle needs to be mandated and applied, and that there needs to be greater integration between the CDC at the federal level, state public health authorities, and the local public health officers who are really on the ground and going to be on the front lines of this. In the hospitals themselves, we've got to take away their ability to pick and choose what they're going to do. Yeah, and actually, you know, I have just kind of anecdotally, I teach at a local university, and one of my students this week asked me, well, what do I do if I'm at the hospital and I get someone that I think has this disease and I don't have the equipment that I need, what do I do next? And so I had my answer for a nursing student there, which is basically defer, <laughs> but what should an RN do in that circumstance? Well, the most important thing she should do is not put... Uh, the patient at risk, herself at risk, or potentially other patients at risk. And so you cannot go into a potential uh, Ebola patient and, and without adequate equipment, period. And so we have to work, obviously, in a, in a CNA hospital or a unionized hospital, you have union mechanisms that can do that. If you need an advocate, get one and in, insist from the nurse manager or uh, higher-ups, if need be, that they provide the equipment and you simply cannot treat the patient without it. And I think that there is um, sometimes a reluctance to do that, but the uh, reality is there's been some very good pieces uh, circulated about registered nurses uh, confronting Ebola patients, and that's 
the universal conclusion is you have to be adequately protected and insist on your right to be so. Even if there is um, pushback, it really is up to the uh, frontline registered nurses to establish that precautionary principle. Yeah, and let's be honest, the bottom line here is profit, not stopping Ebola for a lot of these organizations. Do you think that this would be different if we had some sort of national health care for this country? No question it would be, yeah, because you're basically talking about hospitals making budgetary-based decisions on, on what's going to maximize the revenue and, and profit or net income, even if they're nonprofit. So absolutely, you're right. If we had a national health care system and we had adequately funded public health programs, our public health budget on the federal level is a billion dollars less in fiscal year 2013 than it was in fiscal year 2002. So we've reduced funding for public health preparedness. We had an inspector general report from the Department of Homeland Security issued in August uh, just two months ago that said that they could not be assured that the preparations that DHS, that Homeland Security, had made were going to be adequate. Mm -hmm. And that, in fact, it was uh, that kind of finding then that uh, absent a, a, a national health care system is very difficult then to rectify. But the reality is if we had such a national health care system that adequately funded public health that could ensure compliance at all levels of care within the system, we would be able to provide sufficient pr personal protective equipment, antiviral medical countermeasures for the pandemic response. Right now, Homeland Security hasn't done that adequately, and it goes directly to the lack of a national health care system. You're, it's so right. Um, so the one thing I wanted to highlight in what you said there is about the public health system, because I you know, listen to the news pretty regularly, and I hear them touting that the U.S. public health system is, is ready for this um, endemic or possible pandemic. And, you know, I don't see it being true because I've worked in Northern California and San Francisco and saw the decimation of the public health nurses in that city. Is that true straight across? You, you mentioned a $1 billion cut in public health. Absolutely, it's true. What happened during the Great Recession when counties who have, who you know are responsible for those public health nurses had to cut their budgets? They didn't fill positions. They cut positions. That happened in, in counties all over the country. At the federal level, we had that, that shortfall. So it is a sign that we don't prioritize public health spending or resources unless, and then usually it's too late, when it, and, and, and epidemic appears. So it is a uh, systematic underfunding of those resources on top of a lack of a national health care system. And it's true that there were some new monies available under the Affordable Care Act, but those have not made up for the, for the longer-term shortfall. And it's a very easy place for counties to cut budgets, particularly because they serve low-income people. Absolutely. So, Michael, we really appreciate your critical work at NNU. Just quickly, where can uh, nurses go to learn more about this information? Well, definitely um, nationalnursesunited.org. Also, uh, the registered nurse response network.org. That's rnrn.org. Uh, con we're continuing to um, uh, update information. If they haven't participated in the survey, they can go to those sites and do so. That's very important uh, to keep us updated on what's going on in everyone's uh, facilities and continue to agitate for national health care. 
Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much. We've been talking with Director of Public Policy for California Nurses Association and National Nurses United, Michael Lighty. For more information about this issue, visit NNU.org. We'll be right back with Casey's interview with laughter yoga instructor, Teresa Corrigan. Don't go away. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. This is the sound of a brand new outdoor grill being hurled off a 20-story building. Now a stylish glass coffee table. An electric guitar. These are the things you could enjoy all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Visit energysavers.gov and get tips on how to save energy and money. Then do things like switch to Energy Star light bulbs or Energy Star appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. So this doesn't happen to the recliner you've had your eye on. Or this to the treadmill on your wish list. Or this to the shiny new bike your kid's been asking for. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Psst. Yeah, you. It's me. Your heart. Listen to me. We've got to talk. High blood pressure is serious. And yours? Whoa. What happened to us? We used to be so much more active. But lately, you've been ignoring me. I know you think I'm just going to keep ticking away forever. But you're wrong. You can do so much more to control your high blood pressure. Doing the minimum isn't doing enough. I'm under a lot of pressure and can quit whenever I want. Bet you didn't know that. But I like my job. Just treat me better. Check on me. Give me something green to nibble on every once in a while. And maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. Let's get to it. After all, we're in this together. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check, change, control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. This is a medical alert. Area hospitals are spending millions of your health care dollars on everything but patient care. Unproven technology, Wall Street investments, even buying up other hospitals. Insurance companies and hospitals increase their profits at your expense by sending sick patients home too soon or pushing them into clinics with fewer staff and poor safety protections. When patients are discharged too early, hospitals make you and your family responsible for complex medical treatments. Hospitals then cut their staffs of bedside registered nurses, the health professionals most critical to your care and safety. You are strongly encouraged to demand that your hospital have sufficient numbers of registered nurses to assure patient safety and professional quality care. This has been a medical alert brought to you by National Nurses United, America's voice for registered nurses. We now return to your regularly scheduled program. Welcome back to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Shane, I think you have sinusitis. Casey, you cannot diagnose, treat, or prescribe. Ugh, the bane of my existence. But you can as an NP, so what's the matter with me? Verbal diarrhea. Ugh! 
Oh. Give me a second opinion. You talk too much. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we cannot prescribe, diagnose, or treat, but Shane can, and it always hurts. <laughs> Today, we're getting our first ever laughter yoga lesson, and we brought in our finest. RN and certified laughter yoga instructor, Teresa Corrigan, is with us in the studio. Teresa had the privilege of training directly with Dr. Madan Kataria. Did I say that you right? You did, right? Great. The founder of the laughter yoga movement and becoming a certified laughter yoga teacher. She is also a certified laughter leader with Steve Wilson and the World of Laughter Tour. Currently, Teresa teaches a bi-monthly laughter yoga class, bi-monthly, lovely, mm -hmm. offers laughter yoga leader trainings, speaks at many local groups and national conferences. She has recently started hospital laughter with patients for one-on-one -on -one sessions at the University of California Medical Center in San Francisco. Teresa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Really laughter appreciate yoga. it. Laughter yoga. So just first tell me, how did you get into this? Oh, not so glamorous. I'm a nurse. I needed continuing ed units. And I saw this thing that said, become a laughter yoga leader, 10 units of credits. Wow, what a great thing to do. So. I signed up, went through the classes, and during the class, something just hit me and said, oh my gosh, you know, laughter really is medicine. And I was so impressed with just the immediate effects of the laughing and how we could just laugh for no reason. We didn't need to be funny. We didn't need to be the comedian with the jokes and all those good things. We just, we didn't have to wear a funny hat and be the clown, even though I love clowns. It's just that we could do it. Anybody could do it. And so I got really inspired and said, oh, I have to figure out what to do with this. This isn't, wasn't just a goofy CE class. So what you said there really struck me. Laughter is medicine. Absolutely. So talk about that. Well, laughter really is medicine because it, I think it's the most powerful medicine. You know, your theme of this show and what we've heard so long of laughter is the best medicine because laughter shifts things in the moment. Mm. And it's not that we have to go and, you know, take medication or something that's going to take, you know, hours to work. We can shift our pain. We can shift our perspective. We can shift our energy in a moment. And actually, indeed, laughter really is an ancient form of meditation because we're totally in the moment of the laugh. That is incredible. So I understand it's getting popular. It's getting very popular, and I think it's just because what I said, it's easy. So anybody can do it. Um, it's, you know, around the world now. So I don't know. They say there's thousands and thousands of laughter clubs in over 72 countries now because it's the universal thing. We all know what laughing is. Nobody has to teach us how to laugh. We recognize it as soon as Every we Every language laugh. includes laughing. Exactly. And it's so contagious. So as soon as you start doing it, you know, before long, everybody's laughing. So I think it's connecting with people. Yes. And that connection piece, besides just feeling so great after you have a big laugh, is really what people are looking for now as we're just losing connection with all of our social media and buried in our cell phones and now we hardly ever have a chance to really look at each other and be present with each other with us smiling and laughing. And so I think that's one of the reasons why the laughter is really catching on. That's a, that's a great one. So um, what are the benefits? Talk about the benefits physiologically to the body for us. Oh, gosh. So there's so many, but I'll just make it brief. So we all know how great we feel after a good laughter session. It just kind of we feel fresh and like we can start again. So indeed, when we're laughing, it, it boosts our serotonin levels, our dopamine levels. Um, it's a great cardiovascular workout. It relaxes our muscles. It's a great for the lymph system. Actually boosts the immune system. 
there's been some great research on, you know, various things for the immune system that even anticipating laughing boosts the immune system, which is amazing. And some of the latest research that um, one of the key laughter researchers, Dr. Uh, Lee Burke out of Loma Linda um, Medical Center, he just completed a study where they looked at the brainwaves of people laughing. And what they found was that um, when we laugh, and in a very short amount of time when we laugh, we produce these high level called gamma waves, which basically provide this overall synchrony in the brain for laughing. And it's very similar to the waves that are produced by long-term meditators. And so it's an exciting finding because maybe laughter really is the new meditation and or old meditation. Well, and what's so important about that, because I've been reading a lot of books uh, around the brain, and we're learning so much more about bra brain plasticity mm -hmm. and about multitasking and mm -hmm. how bad it is for us mm -hmm. and that we're really less productive. And so laughing, if it's a meditative, I can get how it brings you to the present state. So all the rest of your worries and cares drop away. Exactly. And you're completely immersed in the moment and in a happy right. moment. Exactly. Which it. is, how much better can that be? How much better can that be? That's beautifully said. That's great. So let's start. Before we start this, I mean, we have been able to start this program in the hospital where we're doing these one-on-one -on -one sessions with the patients. And while I love all this great stuff about laughter, when I'm doing the laughter with the patients, that's really my joy place because I see people who haven't laughed in so long and suddenly they're laughing, they're howling. And I mean, to me, that is just healing in the moment. When we're in the hospital, we're kind of in a hard place. You know, it's, it's not always the most friendly. It's pretty scary. There's mm -hmm. something wrong with your body. You don't really understand it very well. Mm -hmm. Information kind of is metered out yeah. <laughs> in little dribs and drabs. Right. Um, right. And laughter, boy, it takes it all away. Takes it all away when the nurse comes in and says, Hi, Mrs. Jones, I have your laughter pill. <laughs> That's a, good one. That's a good one. I like that one. It just shifts the whole energy for everyone. And I bet it does. I feel like I'm the conditioned response now. I just walk on the unit and they go, oh no, look who's here. The laughter nurse is here and everybody starts laughing. I don't even have to do anything. I just walk on the floor. Which is fabulous. <laughs> All right, show us, Teresa. Okay. So um, I always have everybody in my classes start initially in the chair because I want to you know get the word out that you can do laughter anywhere mm -hmm. and so and anybody can do it so if you're in a wheelchair or in your hospital bed or you know if you're really yoga fit you can modify it so um, you might want to put your paper down for a second okay. and so laughter has four components it is breathing I think I got that down. you got the breathing down <laughs> <laughs> clapping. I'll show you your specific clapping. Then we do this in a really childlike playfulness, and then we do the laughter exercises. And depending on the class, sometimes we also do laughter meditation. So first we're going to do a little bit of breathing. Okay. And so I want you just to inhale up as you put your hands up. So we're going to just inhale up. That's good. And get a nice stretch in there. And then as you bring your hands down to your lap on the count of three, we're going to go ahead and laugh. One, two, three. Three. <laughs> and again, nice big stretch up and then down. <laughs> so that's one of just a simple exercise. And then we really work with the sounds of ho, 
ha and he. Those are our laughter sounds. And it also has a whole lot to do with energy and, you know, waking up the meridians a little bit. So we're going to start with just down here with our big Santa Claus laugh of ho, 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 ho. Ho, 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 I play Santa Claus many times. Not because I'm fat. Maybe because I am fat. I don't know. And then we're going to go to the heart and we're going to go And then we're going to go up here and go. <laughs> then again. <laughs> then put your hands in your ears. <laughs> I have to say, I like the ho ho ho. He sounds too silly. <laughs> but look, we're laughing now, right? <laughs> That's, that's the whole point of it. That's the whole point of it. And so um, so we do laughing exercises, and then we start with what I call the old Sanskrit chant of ho, ho, ha, ha, ha. And it's a one, two, one, two, three count. So put your hands together like this because we hit some nice acupressure points here, and we're moving a lot of energy because laughter is energy, right? And it's so, all energy. Folks. It's all energy. So we're going to go to the right side, and we're going to go ho, ho. Ho, ho. We're going to swing it around and go ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, Here you go. Ho, ho, and a ha, ha, ha. Ho, ho, and a ha, ha. Ho, ho, ha, ha, ha. Ho, ho, ha, ha, ha. Ho, ho, ha, ha, ha. Once more. Ho, ho, ha, ha, ha. Yay. I'm grooving in this. This is so fun. Let's get physical. Physical. So we always encourage everybody to get crazy. And yeah. see, that's one of the fun parts about it, it too. Does. You do want to be silly. You want to be silly. Which and it's great. Very, very improv -y. You know, and people yes. go, oh, how about this? How about that? Like, yes. just like you're yes. doing. Yes. Just like you're doing. A candy bar would be good with this. <laughs> <laughs> it would be. <laughs> and then we love to get our silly on it. Dr. Hattaria <laughs> is not as all, you know, he's very silly. So um, he said, okay, let's do something crazy because we're so proud of ourselves when we do this, you know, little yes. laughter stuff. So he said, put your hands together like this. And we're very proud. And we go, oh, wasn't that marvelous? Very good. Very good. Yay. I like that. <laughs> very good. Very good. Yay. And, you know, if you just did that, that little bit, because one of the things, you know, I'm a manager and they say you yeah. don't give enough feedback. Mm -hmm. Very good. Very good. Yay. Absolutely. Now, that's great. That's what I tell everyone. That's great. That's what I tell so everybody. someone's constipated. They get rid of it. Very good. Very good. Yay. That's exactly what I say. You know, you just, you know, enjoy every yes. part of it. And so then the other thing is we go ahead and we um, just do some other simple laughter exercises. So, for example, should you want to stand up for a minute? Yes. So, you know, in the class, we try to do a, a lot of eye contact and connection because, mm -hmm. again, that's that connection mm -hmm. where we feel that real bonding with each other. Mm -hmm. And so let's just shake hands with each other and laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and then give me a high five but miss. <laughs> <laughs> very 
Very good, very good, yay! <laughs> okay, so there's just a couple more exercises that I love that I want to teach you. And so this one is actually not so much of an exercise, but it's a connection exercise. And so because you are so amazing, and then we use I am amazing, you're amazing, we are amazing. So if you like point that. to yourself and you go, I, I am, am amazing. amazing, I mean, really feel it. I, I, I am amazing. Amazed. I am amazing. I am F amazing. And you are amazing. And you are and amazing. You are amazing. amazing amazing and we are amazing we are all, all of you amazing. are amazing incredible amazing amazing and our laughter matters our laughter, laughter matters. matters our, our laughter, laughter matters. matters and i am amazing and you are amazing. And you and need to take this to the Senate and the Congress. They <laughs> okay. need to do this. And they again. do. They absolutely do. <laughs> and our laughter matters. Our each laughter one of us, matters. Each one of us, our laughter matters. Good. Good. Yay! And the last one I want to do is what we call appreciation laughter. Okay. And so we just look at each other and we appreciate each other. So, And I do appreciate you so much. And Norse Talk you. Radio and TV, you guys are so into stuff. So I, pre I appreciate you. <laughs> 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 very good, very good, yay! <laughs> I like that. So tell us about where they can find out about this. Well, um, if you're interested in laughter yoga trainings, um, I'm teaching a class of actually coming up in October. And you can find me at uh, laughterhour, O-U-R, bestmedicine.com. Or if you're interested in coming to the classes or uh, coming with us for some of the things that we're doing in the laughter in the lobby at the UCSF Mount Zion Hospital, if you can go to also to the UC website, which is osher.ucsf.edu. So, uh, and we'll put know. all of these on the Nurse Talk website. Great. So you can always go to Nurse Talk's site. Dot com and you'll find out all this information Excellent. and how to start your own laughter program wherever you may be. Very good. Very good. Yay. <laughs> Wow, yeah, since the storm, it's been crazy busy for us. We got all kinds of office desks coming in. Now here's a it's a fancy one right here. It's missing a leg, but that's all right. Whatever. Washers and dryers from a laundromat. Oh, wow, and check this out. Another deep fryer. And I'm not sure what this doohickey is. Yeah, most businesses weren't ready for a storm like that, you know. But our work's really piling up here at Roberts and Son Salvage. What will become of your business after a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency. And 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now, before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Are you thinking about getting your GED diploma? Well, here at the GED Pep Talk Center, we've got a number of pep talks that can motivate you. Sometimes things don't always turn out the way you want them to. You know that feeling? People look at you and don't believe in you. You want some gentle encouragement. Then you're on your way to your GED diploma and a better life. But I know they're probably just a little bit nervous. You can find it in yourself to take that first step. You can improve 
Your future. You can do this. I know you can. You need to start pushing yourself. Now get your game face on and take the first step towards a better life. Hurry up. Don't make me repeat myself. Whatever level of motivation you need to get your GED diploma, we've got a pep talk that's right for you. Call 1-877-38-YOUR-GED or visit yourged.org for your pep talk and find free GED classes in your area. GED is a registered trademark of the American Council on Education. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. So, Casey, I was trying to come up with a joke for the uh, disclaimer that we do, and uh, actually I couldn't because I got run over by a rolling testicle last night. I don't know. <laughs> you were just thing. driving just down and, and, and boom, a six-foot testicle went across you. Yeah. So wow. Anyway, were you wearing a condom? <laughs> all I have to say <laughs> is all materials relating to health trivia are the sole responsibility of Nurse Talk LLC. They're not affiliated with any network or stream service in <laughs> our show and watch out for rolling testicles. <laughs> That's right. You got to be careful. You got to stay protected, Shane. Our health trivia question this week is, what is a staph infection? And staph is spelled S-T-A-P-H. Not S-T-A-F-F. Because there are so many staph infections where I work, that's for sure. Anyway, if you know the answer to this week's question, or you're the first to look it up and email us, you'll win a $25 gift certificate to Starbucks. So you can email us at contest at nursetalksite.com, or you can tweet us at hashtag NTContest. Our question last week was, what is the most common procedure performed during a hospital stay? And the choices were prophylactic vaccinations and inoculations, blood transfusions, colonoscopy and biopsy, respiratory intubation. It's not what I thought it was. The answer is... It's not what I thought it was either, Shane. I would not have said blood transfusions if you had polled me. Yeah, I would have guessed uh, vaccinations and inoculations, but it is blood transfusion. So there was 2.81 million transfusions last year and 1.83 prophylactic vaccinations and inoculations. Uh, Slightly less of the others, respiratory intubation. I'm surprised there's that many of that. 1.63, that's pretty serious. I knew that. Uh, Repair of obstetric lacerations. Ouch. 1.29 million. See, women are always getting hurt. (laughs) <laughs> and diagnostic cardiac catheterizations are 1.28 million. Shocking. Just shocking. Yes, who knew that there were that many transfusions? So that's a good time to tell people, donate blood. So our winner this week was Gwen Ferguson listening on Progressive Voices Tune In. Uh, we thought it would be fun to see how doctors answer medical questions. So here are a few we found in someone else's mailbag. All right. So the first question is, I've heard that cardiovascular exercise can prolong life. Is this true? And this is an answer from an MD. Your heart is only good for so many beats and that's it. Don't waste them on exercise. I love this guy. Can I go kiss him? Everything wears out eventually. (laughs) Speeding up your heart will not make you live longer. That's like saying you can extend the life of your car by driving it faster. Want to live longer? Take a nap. I'm a firm believer in driving faster is good for Mm -hmm. your car. And it would increase the longevity of your car. So I think this guy's wrong because I like to exercise too. And come on, how could that be bad for you? Yeah, I think what this guy's failing to keep in mind is that when you exercise, your resting heartbeat, the other 23 hours and 30 minutes a day is lower. Actually goes down. So you actually have less heartbeats if you speed your car up. Right. Yeah, so this Get guy into the fast not, lane. He's not a brain surgeon. Definitely not a brain the, surgeon. This doctor was 88 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and his time, his heart yeah. is only beating so many more he times. Wants to it's take 
true. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the second question, Shane. Should I cut down on meat and eat more fruits and vegetables? Love this guy too. Answer, you must grasp logistical efficiencies. What does a cow eat? Hay and corn. <laughs> and what are these? Vegetables. So a steak is nothing more than an efficient mechanism of delivering vegetables to your system. Need grain? Eat chicken. <laughs> Beef is also a good source of field grass, green leafy vegetables. That's right, although we're not eating their poop. And a pork chop can give you 100% of your recommended daily allowance of vegetable <laughs> products. That's what could awesome. a hot dog do, I wonder? Uh, that's I love that one. The next question is, hey, Doc, should I reduce my alcohol intake? Oh, you're going to love this answer. So Shane. answer A, no, not at all. <laughs> Wine is made from fruit. Brandy is distilled wine. That means they take the water out of the fruity bits so you get even more of the goodness that way. Beer's also made out of grain. Bottoms up. <laughs> I love this guy's thinking. And of course, nothing about what it does to your body and how you can shock the crap out of your liver by drinking straight brandy. You're going to take the water out of the fruity bit. <laughs> I love this guy. Where'd they get these doctors? And how old was he? What, 96? Yeah, all these people probably live forever. There's Okay, the next one. How can I calculate my body fat ratio? If you have a body, you have fat. Your ratio is one to one. If you have two bodies, your ratio is two to one. I love this because this is about how much math I can do in any given space of time. So I love that. The next time the doctor asks my body fat index, I'm going to say it's a one to one. It's a one to one ratio. <laughs> it's a one to one ratio, doc. I don't know what else I can say. <laughs> All right. So the next question is, what are some of the advantages of participating in a regular exercise program? Oh, the boy. answer is, I can't think of a single <laughs> one. Sorry. <laughs> My philosophy is no pain. Good. Oh, that is too much for Hollywood. I just love that. Where do they get these doctors? What is it? The uh, nursing home down the yeah, street yeah, yeah. for retired, retired doctors? doctors? Yeah. Aren't fried foods bad for you? You're not listening. <laughs> Foods are fried these days in nothing other than vegetable oil. In fact, they're permeated in it. How could getting more vegetables be bad for you? If they're soaked and fried in vegetables, they're infusing it right into the meat you eat. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so the next question is, will sit-ups help, help prevent me from getting a little soft around the middle? Oh, no. A, definitely not. <laughs> When you exercise a muscle, it gets bigger. You should only be doing sit-ups if you want a bigger stomach. There is some truth to this There answer, is a little truth extremely... that the muscle gets bigger. However, that's how you get a six-pack, Doc, not a big fat belly. So this actually makes me think of, have you seen this, Casey, online where you can go to these sites and you can type in a question and then an MD will answer the question, but only when you've bid enough money that one of the MDs sitting around is, it's worth. so you'll be like, I want to know if, if this rash is bad and I'll pay $7. And, and you can put up a picture of it? You can put up a picture, you can talk about whatever. And I'll pay seven bucks for it? And yeah, is it and then, working and people are doing this? Yeah, I've gone on those. I've gone on those sites just to look to see what it's all about. Oh, I and wondered what your question was. Now, <laughs> <laughs> what the heck did you pay to have answers? And it's funny because sometimes people won't. They'll be like, "I'll pay four dollars for this," and no one will answer. And then they'll come back and be like, "Okay, I'll pay seven. And some doctor will answer for seven answer, bucks. Yeah, but not four dollars. <laughs> what is it, PayPal? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. How, isn't that so? What do you think about that phenomenon? I think that's pretty interesting, and I think it's a good way to get answers asked and uh, questions asked and answered. It's quite fascinating. We're going to have to get some more details on this. You can do that with lawyers too. 
You can seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you now I like it better for lawyers because they charge so much. So for simple, easy questions like "Can I get my divorce online?" or something like that, I've that no, makes I better sense. Most of the doctor questions, it looks like people that just they have no other recourse. They have no insurance, right? Yeah. Or and what were the questions like? Like, give me. An there's example. lots of STD questions. Lots of questions that were you. posted Sexually at like one in the morning on a Friday night, and someone's <laughs> yes, just like, "Oh, yes, my friend yes. just did this stupid thing. Do you think they got AIDS? I'll give you twelve bucks." Or I bet you more questions like this. Uh, I have a drug test in the morning. How long until cocaine is out of my system? Yeah, lots of stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. And then the doctors are just cutting and pasting the same answer over and over. And just cash and paychecks. Yeah. Well, if they're only seven or 10 bucks at a pop, I can't imagine. And I wonder what caliber of doctor is really online answering those questions. Or... Who, who even says it's a doctor? Because there's no vetting in this process. I don't know. If, I don't, yeah, so I wonder if nurses are know. just answering the questions and, you know, or, or just actually, there's, there's my next job. I'm going to go online and start answering just the sit questions. sit at home and personate a doctor sit at and home answer and questions. Say, this is uh, Casey, uh, Dr. Ben Casey. And your answers <laughs> as they are on the show will just be, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. $7. No, no, $7. No, my $7. answer is going to be try rolling a six-foot ball across the country yeah. to, raise, to raise awareness for testicular like last cancer. Week, heat up a needle super hot and plunge <laughs> yeah. it into hey, your toe. That really does work, though, I'm telling you. Some of those home remedies really do work. On another note, Shane, churning isn't just for butter anymore. This is a blog post that appeared on filmmaker Michael Morris' site and written by our own Donna Smith, Executive Director of Healthcare for All Colorado. It isn't often anymore that I learn a new word in healthcare system discussion, but this week I did, churning. I was at a meeting here in Colorado where I've taken on my new role in advocating and administrating for a publicly financed universal single-payer system with healthcare for all Colorado. And the definition of churning I learned is a sad commentary on a system that still allows access to care based on inequality of coverage that leaves so many people suffering and tens of thousands dying in America every year. Churning is the policy wonk term for those who qualify and are covered by a public program like Medicaid and who then have access to a private insurance plan through a new job that offers it or through a family member's coverage, but who then lose that coverage and end up back on the public insurance for which they qualify. They churn and they suffer. Churning doesn't happen in an orderly or smooth way. There is a person with health care needs churning. There may be weeks or even months during which that person has no coverage and therefore only the access that money can buy them and we all know how far that will go. Sometimes there are children involved who churn with their parents. Kids with illnesses for which they need care can suffer during delays of approval for both public and private plans. How do you explain churning to a child in the middle of night with asthma symptoms and other problems? Sorry, sweetheart, mommy is churning this week, and we don't have the money to buy that inhaler. Maybe the insurance will come through next week. Those who have tried to transition from one private plan to another due to a loss or change of jobs will understand. It is stressful to make these changes even under the best of circumstances. Imagine that policy wonks discuss ways to reduce churning from public to private and back to public plans again when there is a clear and equitable way to end it for good. Adopting a sensible, equitable, universal, publicly financed, single-payer, Medicare-for-all-life system would end all this awful churning and the need for policy wonks to study and find ways to reduce it. So I do not like the word for which I just learned a new connotation, churning. Let's end it. Those engaged in our public policy and budgetary decisions 
consider what broader sorts of economic churning does to our system. Policymakers must recognize the potential implications of current decisions that have to be made about public health and social programs that are currently in jeopardy because of fiscal concerns. Understanding how cuts to those programs might help balance budgets will probably exacerbate the country's current health disadvantage and make greater demands on the system later on. We need to help them understand the larger economic implications, if not the human toll. People are suffering while we have the capacity to stop that suffering. Our community values would have us end that suffering if it was at all possible, and it is definitely possible. We need the will to do so. Let's get on with that work. I couldn't agree with her more. At a time when we just interviewed a doctor who says of our system that it is so broken when she goes to the hospital, and this is a doctor who knows what's, what's coming, she has to take an advocate. So much so that she wanted a registered nurse parked at the end of her bed watching everything that was coming in and out. And if you think I'm exaggerating, you obviously haven't been to a healthcare facility lately. Yeah, it's a really good point. And actually, I've had at times, I've had clients that come in and uh, we've decided that we need to get them off of Kaiser um, because Kaiser won't cover what they need. And the problem with that is sad. that first off, how messed up is that? That yes. we're saying, get rid of your insurance. That Now that is bad for both systems, right? Very bad for both systems because case, then you're in a churning situation. Right. And so there is a period of time between them that my organization has to completely take put the bill for everything until right. we can get them onto the public roles and get them the care that they need because Kaiser or some other sort of HMO has parceled out the mental health portion of their, uh, their contract and the person can't access that or, so or they just say, no, this person doesn't need it. They don't need it. They don't need it when they clearly do need it. Well, and what I'm seeing more and more of now, um, you, you mentioned Kaiser, but I see it universally. Um, much less digging for, if you, if you go and there's an easy fix for what ails you, they're going to do that. If it's any more complicated, especially if it's going to require a CT scan or an MRI, boy, they are so resistant to doing that. We know somebody who had uh, fell and hurt her shoulder and there's actually tears in the ligaments and the tendons. And by the way, those tears don't just fix on them on their own, but her healthcare provider has made her wait 11 weeks continuing to say, well, let's just wait. Let's just wait. Let's not do that CT scan or MRI that's going to show it for sure. Let's wait and see if it gets better. Well, it doesn't get better. And meanwhile, it gets worse. Right. And her shoulder gets frozen. And when they go to actually do the surgery, now it's going to be twice as complicated and cost us twice as much. But this is the stuff that we do. And even when Shane, when you went out and had this little procedure here, here's the other reason why you want to bring somebody and have an advocate with you. Because anytime you have a procedure, no matter how minor it is, it's scary. You're putting yourself in the hands of somebody that you barely know. And they usually come at you with a very sharp instrument. And they say, this will hurt a little bit. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, they cut this thing out of my neck, man. Yes. Like, I was, uh, like I was like, la da da and I showed yeah, up. Yeah, you act and, like it's no big thing, right? And about right? halfway through, I was like, this kind of is a bummer. Yes. <laughs> and I was yes. a little emotional, you yes. know? So yes. I needed someone there to uh, ask questions for me and rem remember the stuff that I'm not remembering. And so. someone to take, to take you home. That's the other thing that's so right. important here. You know, um, a lot of times now they'll tell you, bring somebody with you to take you home, and people tend to blow that off like it's no big deal. Let me tell you, it is a big deal. As somebody who had a colonoscopy, recently and they tell you bring somebody with you now i could have driven home there's no question i could have driven home but it's a little i'm a little freaked out because i just had somebody put a big tube 
where there should never be a tube. And it's a, it's a little bit daunting. And as a nurse, all the whole time I'm saying to myself, oh, buck up, you can handle this. Well, you can't. So bring somebody with you. It's so very important. That's our show for today, Shane. And a special thanks to the California Nurses Association and National Nurses United for their support of Nurse Talk. To learn more about today's topics, visit www.nursetalksite.com or nationalnursesunited.org. A great big thank you to our executive producer, Patty Lockard, Dennis Cruz and the team at TalkStream Network, Taylor Lockard, Social Networking, and Progressive Voices TuneIn, and all of our other wonderful broadcast partners. Remember to laugh, you got to listen, to listen, you got to tune in. See you next week. We love you. Thanks for listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Brought to you by National Nurses United. Check us out on Facebook or go to our website at nursetalksite.com. For more information about National Nurses United and the California Nurses Association, visit nationalnursesunited.org. Until next week, remember, laughter is the best medicine.